0: This episode of the Pack Builder Podcast, once brought to you by our friends at Giant Bicycles. How do you define the ultimate cycling experience? That is up to you. The mission at Giant is to help make it happen, to create the ultimate cycling experience for all riders all around the world. They're builders, innovators, but they're also a global community of cyclists. They are athletes, adventurers, and advocates for cycling. They're Tour de France racers, single track explorers, neighbors, and friends. Big thanks to Giant Bicycles. You can check them out at giantbicycles.com. The entire line of bikes, of gear, of everything you possibly could ever dream of. And they're on that CCC team in the Pro Peloton. You guys, right? Yeah. Let's do a podcast. welcome to another episode of the pack filler I am Pat Bulger. I am NOT in the studio but we are getting really really close you guys I don't know if you saw online I uh, I posted some stuff on Instagram and stuff like that Paul keeps telling me to videotape stuff I don't know if you're interested in that but I'm going to because you know I need proof and and I'm, I'm desperate for attention a uh, good deal of work done this past uh, weekend, a couple days. Got the flooring put in, soundproofing in the flooring. I've actually got, like I said, soundproofing. There's a layer of, of foam, acoustic foam in there. It feels a little soft, but it's actually really good. I put another couple layers on top of it, so it's feeling pretty solid. Um, got the, the console, or I guess you could call it a bar. It's an old bar that I'm refacing and refinishing. Re um, got that all the front of it at least in I'm gonna stain it fill in some gaps all that kind of stuff you know got it all wired for everything like that still needs a new top need to stain that need to put in the lighting above final wiring and I gotta decorate it I've got you know piles of old retro shit that my wife won't let me put anywhere else in the house so might as well decorate the studio with it right it's coming, you guys. We're getting there. We're getting there. I'm, I'm I'm excited to finally be able to do it. I'm excited to finally be able to do the show live, and create some sort of a alternative, not alternative method for everybody to to communicate with the show if you want to, or obviously continue listening in the method you do with um with the. obviously downloading the podcast and listening to it at your leisure, but uh, you're going to be able to actually communicate with the show as we get going here. I promise it's going to happen. I'm, I'm putting a lot of time into it, so hopefully it'll come out here soon. I'm putting so much time into it. I actually sat out a local race this last weekend. And personally, I don't know if I sat out a local race because of the work on the studio, or if I sat out on the uh, the race because I'm a little disenchanted with road racing right now. Maybe I've hit that, that, I don't know, speed bump in the season of preparation where your dream of what the season's going to be meets head-on with expectations and reality and things like that. Um, I, I went to a local race the other night, and they're, they separated into an A-pack and a B-pack, and I was in the A-pack because I was told that I can't race the B-pack, And there were six guys total. And when I say guys, they were all men, but there were only six of them, us. And uh, I'm not strong enough to share the load equal with six younger cat twos or higher and you know i i i could have once upon a time but i can't anymore and so needless to say i didn't do very well and i got kind of hammered with it and i finished that race alone and it was a little disenchanting to be honest because it's road racing is that curse it that's the thing about road racing if you get dropped, your day's over. There's nothing else going on. And in some of the other formats and styles of racing, you're still out there competing against the next person in front of you or behind you or against the course itself. And so I'm I'm having a little trouble with that. And I think we're going to talk about that next week. I'm going to get Paul and probably Karsten into the studio and we can chat about some of those things about how to keep things going. I am, you know, I'm not, I'm not done. I'm not quitting. I'm not, putting my numbers away you know for the rest of the life um, but I'm a little disenchanted right now with that that scene I'm going to try it again this Thursday and we'll see what happens I'll let you know I am um, and this is a free plug for this event I'm riding a, a local area Grand Fondo this weekend in North Idaho called unfortunately it's called the chafe I I wish I knew why they called it that but it's it doesn't do the event justice. It's a beautiful ride. Uh, distance is maximum 150, all the way down to I think there's like a 20 mile easy kind of a thing. But I'm I'm doing the 80. I did the 80 mile fondo ride last year, and it, along the lakes and the rivers and the mountains of incredibly beautiful North Idaho. North Idaho gets a bad rap with some areas of oh I don't know you know gigantic trucks that roll coal on you and all that kind of stuff but uh it's some of the more beautiful terrain i've i've been able to be fortunate to ride ride through and around and i'll try to get some video clips or something of that just to show you guys what this is event this event is like and uh they're great people it's for a good cause we had to do a little fundraising to try and offset i think it's offset tough to help with literacy issues in the in the local community there and um it's just a beautiful ride. If you, if you get a chance, look it up. C-H-A-F-E, Chafe. Um, I think they just call it the Chafe 150. But I get I'm, my son and I are doing it. We get on a bus. They load our bikes up. We get on a bus and ride through and go on the bus until we get to the 80-mile mark, and then you're all set. It's a beautiful ride. So um, we'll get some stuff from there and show you guys what it's all about. So there you go. Today's episode is about bike racing. It's about uh, the organizations that are helping keeping bike racing alive or the organizations that might be not helping bike racing stay alive. I'm trying to do this as neutrally as humanly possible and not accuse anybody or name any names. But there are some alternatives out there. And I got a great opportunity to talk to somebody who is really putting some cool effort in terms of, keeping bike racing going, increasing the numbers, and and building the sport overall. Uh, Chuck Kenlin is the executive director of the Oregon Bicycle Racing Association, or OBRA, and I thought it was an interesting talk with him, a, a passionate guy, enthusiastic guy, a guy who came from an organizational background, and he's doing all he can to help with Oregon, and I promise I'm not a complete Oregonian. I am a Washingtonian, but I think what they're doing in Oregon is some pretty impressive stuff, so... Without further ado, Chuck Kenlin on the Pack Filler Podcast. Right, guys. Today's guest is not only, and I'm quoting Karsten Hagen, our producer here at the show, that he is not only a, quote, kick-ass fly fishing guide, but he's also the current executive director of the <laughs> Oregon Bicycle Racing Association. Uh, and I'm pretty sure it's otherwise known as OBRA, if I'm not mistaken, because I don't live in Oregon. So, But let's welcome to the show, uh, Chuck Kenlin. Chuck, how are you?
2: Hey, I'm great, Pat. Thanks. That's really funny. The, the fly fishing guide thing. I'm just a pretender.
0: Oh well, I you know this is this show's supposed to be about cycling, but I got to tell you, I I am a fly fisherman, but my cast can scare birds. I think so.
2: <laughs> Sometimes that works.
0: I false cast way too much. I just like flinging it around in the air, and then it hits the water, and everything flies for miles.
2: Yeah, you watched the river runs through it, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, uh, yeah Brad Pitt. Was <laughs> you want a cast like Brad Pitt? <laughs> He's yeah. my
0: muse. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, first, yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for doing this, man. Um, I, you know, as I said at the outset of the show, I am not extremely well schooled in the world of. Um, Obrá and what you guys do over there, and I'm I'm really anxious to kind of hear what's going on and hear how you guys have structured everything. But I like to always start with a little bit of perspective here and find out something about you, and especially how you came to the sport. So, what got you into bike racing to start with?
2: I guess you know I could give it um, two words, but then I'll expand on that. Uh, my wife. Um, <laughs> but uh, before that, growing up, I was I, I, I'm dating myself here, but. I loved watching the Red Zinger and Coors Classic on the wide world of sports. I just thought that was a beautiful sport. And then watching the Le Mans years of the Tour de France and same thing there. And when I moved to Bend in 1988, my first exposure to live bike racing was the Cascade Cycling Classic. And the old downtown crit with the Kansas Corner, um, I, it just it just blew me away to see that. And again, I think other than just the athleticism and the speed, it's just a it's a beautiful sport to watch. Um, so over the years, I you know became the executive director of another sports organization that ended up owning the Cascade Cycling Classic, and so uh, that got me a lot more involved. And uh, they, you know, I got into a few other things bike racing related. And then I finally thought, gosh, I need to pin a number on and do this myself. And, <laughs> and, uh, so it's kind of the the story, I guess.
0: So you were involved in the organizational side of it before you ever straddled the top tube and wrote it in anger against others. Yes. Really?
2: Yeah. It was, uh, the, the, my wife was on the board of directors for the, for the old friends of the Cascade Cycling Classic, and I knew they were struggling with financially and the organization that I ran, we, we did a really good job of securing sponsorship for for sporting events. So I approached the board and I said, you know, what if we handle this side of it and we raise the sponsorship dollars and you give our organization a percentage of that to help raise money for us wow. and and we'll do the legwork there. And that started the conversation going. And pretty soon, all the board members said, "Why don't you just take over the race?" <laughs> oh man! And so, so uh, after a lot of investigating, and uh, we decided to give it a try. We signed an MOU saying we'll we'll do it for a couple of years, and and if if it doesn't work out, we're going to give it right back to you. And for for a number of years there, um, it was successful, and it raised quite a bit of money for our organization. And uh, it you know it was it was really fun to be a part of as. As things changed and, and and things changed with USA Cycling and a number of other things, the, the amount of money that the race could make got smaller and smaller and smaller. And uh, I left the organization in 2003, but in 2017, um, that organization decided that they weren't going to do it anymore. And uh, so it was exciting to see it resurrect this year. I'm on the board of directors for the for the new organization that runs it, and it was a it was a great resurrection this
0: year you know that's i'm i'm so bummed i would i couldn't come over to see it um you know i've uh, i've been to bend a couple times my audience is probably wondering if i'm being paid by the community of bend we just did an, uh, our first initial episode of bike towns there and how cycling friendly of a community it is and now with the revival of the classic it's um wow i mean you guys have an amazing community over there that is all really active in in not only just participating in the sport but also in making sure it it thrives
2: yeah yeah that's that's exactly it's a it's a great group i mean it took a lot it took a, <laughs> i guess it's cliche but it took a village and yeah. uh we sure have that village here in bend that that steps up and and does everything that it takes to pull something like that off
0: so from doing stuff like that and being involved in that um how did your path to the job at obra come about
2: well you know so i I put on the race i realized after the first year how much it cost to pay travel for officials yeah so i decided to train to be an official so so uh uh, i could support the the local race promoters here the smaller races so they wouldn't have to pay um pay for officials to travel so i kind of got then i started officiating more and then uh started racing my bike more. And then, um, after a local series went away, um, uh, me and a partners brought back a weekly time trial and weekly criterion series. So I kind of seen the sport from all angles, from an officiating standpoint, from a race promotion standpoint, um, uh, r- racing officiating that when I saw the job announcement, Kind of, how often does this happen when you look at a job announcement and you kind of check all the boxes in the job description? <laughs> and who, doesn't want to, who doesn't want to work somewhere where they feel confident and, um, that, you know, that has the experience? And so it, it just it, – it, and it worked out at the perfect time in my life, kind of with, with where my other parts of my career are going. And, and I'm really, really fortunate. I'm really glad that the board of directors hired me.
0: How's it working out so far?
2: It's good. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, you know, it's full of challenges and, and it's, you know, we're, we're a pretty grassroots organization. Um, we have 3,500 licenses or members and, uh, you know, everybody's passionate about the sport. And so I get to see that. (laughs) Um, and, but it's good. It keeps me on my toes and, and, uh, keeps me thinking about what we can do to get better. Can you, all the time?
0: Can you give me a little bit of history in terms of, OBRA and how it came about I know that I mean from what I've studied and what I've researched and communications with people that it did come from a financial standpoint and um here it is you know I I I don't want to turn this into a screw USAC kind of a thing but um it seemed like there was some you know to to branch away from something like that is is a big leap of faith and so how did that all kind of come about that from your experience?
2: Well, you know, at the time, you know, somebody, somebody who's really high up with USA cycling currently, Randy Schaefer, um, ran OBRA as a, as a USAC um, local association. And then when he left, there's a group of people that realized that for, for much less money, we can create a much easier, less expensive platform for for promoters to put on races, uh, less expensive membership. And uh, they decided to go for it and that, you know I tell you, Pat, the reason it succeeded and the reason it hasn't succeeded possibly in other states is that when that happened, every promoter in Oregon came on board. There wasn't a split there wasn't half the promoters saying, no, we're going to stay with u s a cycling." Everyone jumped in, and you know I think I think the problem in Colorado was it was a good it was a good association, but it was kind of fifty fifty there half the half the races stayed USAC and then you know, pretty soon you're, you're kind of cannibalizing on each other. And, and the weaker ones um, tend to not, not succeed. So we're very fortunate at the time uh, that, that it worked. And, and, and to the, to this day, you know, that by, by all means, we don't bash USA cycling. We feel that USA cycling, if, if they're successful, we're going to be successful and we have a good working relationship, but we do offer a, a a much less expensive option for race promoters. And that's why there's over 300 race days in Oregon every year. uh, Um, because it really, it really is easy to put on a bike race, you know, it's with all the resources and materials and, and you don't, a promoter doesn't have to buy equipment. We have equipment stationed all over the state, um, for local promoters to use. And, uh, so it's you know we've we've been able to keep the cost, and I think that that keeps the the entry fees for races down. Um, I know we're the cheapest cheapest races in the country, um, and I think that's that's one of the reasons we're successful as well.
0: Is so it was primarily a financial decision originally to keep costs down to keep things going. I mean I know for a fact I think about some of the races I'll attend and or announce and things like that where you're seeing five six USA cycling uh, officials there, uh, knowing that all of them are getting paid by the day. I mean, I'm not going to discount uh, officiating because it's an incredibly important part of the the equation. Um, and, and insurance costs are just through the roof. Is, uh, were you guys able to find something you know, more financially feasible? Yeah. That
2: you know, it's interesting. We we do train our officials. Many of the people at the beginning were already USAC officials, and that's where we started our officials officiating program from. And, and we do train and, and uh, get officials up to speed. Um I'm sorry what was the second half of that that question?
0: Just in terms of uh, Oh insurance, uh, yeah.
2: insurance. So fortunately, you know, you knock on wood, but you know there has been very few claims in in OBRA events over the years. Our liability insurance this year actually went down. Wow. So um, we carried we carry two policies and and both policies went down. Um we have I mean be, because we're not as big as USA cycling. The USA cycling is way more exposed because of what they have around the country. Unfortunately, their insurance did go up this year. Um, And I believe that the coverage that we have is actually better liability insurance um, for less, for less money that we get. And it's, and I'm not sure if it's a controls issue, but I just, I I just know that, you know, they have a much higher exposure and and there's a much higher opportunity for maybe a lawsuit to happen. And that always raises, raises rates so um we've been fortunate
0: and and you guys have your own i guess i could ask uh, you know rule structure and things like that is there anything different between the two organizations or are they pretty mirrored to each other
2: they're, they're pretty mirrored there's probably a few minor things um such as you know how fines are given we we, we mainly do suspensions and not fines um at at, at races um we it's, it's some of those small things but essentially the rules of racing are the same um our transgender policy that we adopted in 2017 mirrors the or 2018 beginning of 2018 mirrors the the you know the the ioc the um u.s olympic committee USACs. um yeah you know we obviously we we don't have doping control at over races and so um there are rules in our rule book that state that if an athlete is is found positive at another sporting event under under another governing body, that we follow the same suspensions that, that they get there. Um, but, yeah, for the most part, the rules are, can pretty closely mirror each other.
0: What – makes it different i mean uh, you know here i am i'm in washington and i'm sitting here thinking of this kind of pie in the sky image where it's like oh my god this just sounds heavenly you know to have not only a, a governing body but it's a governing body that you can actually speak to directly uh, you know i'm going to see you at a race i'm going to see these kind of people i'm not going to see the president of us usac unless he's on tv um so right. what Perfect. what what else makes what you guys are doing different
2: I mean, I think you said it right there. Um, you know, my whole staff, they live in Portland, they bike race, they're out at races. They're, they're visible to the membership, the board of directors. Um, a few live over here in Bend, uh, most live in the Portland, Vancouver area. They're visible, they're at races, they're available to, to you know, um, let somebody bend their ear. Um, so that's a big part of it is, you know, my phone number published by my, my direct, phone number is published so people can call me if they need to. And then I think it's just because we're, because we're small, we're, we're nimble. We can, we can adapt and we can change quicker than, than larger organizations. Um, so we can try new things with new race formats um, without it having to kind of fit into a, a cookie cutter mold. Um, so it's, you know, I think it's, I think it's everything combined. Um, but you know, well, People in Obra love Obra, and uh, there's there's a reason for it. We can always do things better, but yeah, um,
0: it's it. Yeah, it, you know, and I, I think of some of the you know with with Usac, and here I'm not here to bash them because you know I grew up through the USCF rule, uh, years and things like that, in the invention of Norba and things like that, um, and it's just right. It's it. So anyway, what's you know what are some of the challenges you guys are forced with? Obviously, you know if somebody wants to ride for the national team, are they going to be able to obtain the proper steps racing through your races? Is how is I guess what I'm asking is. Well, what, yeah, what, sure. Yeah, go ahead.
2: Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of things. We went through kind of a, some down years there, and I, you know, there was a there was a CEO at USA Cycling that really wanted to kind of crush Obra. Yeah, and so he removed some of the reciprocity agreements that we had with USA Cycling. Um, uh, he removed the, the ability to dual sanction um, races for the longest time. The Cascade cycling classic ran the pro races as USA cycling races and the amateur races as Obra races, oh, Okay. which saved a ton of money for the cascade to be able to do that, to not have everything go through USA cycling and, and have to pay the travel for all the officials for those, for those amateur fields um, to come. And so um, that, that CEO um, wrote a letter saying all that's ended. Um, Derek Bouchard-Hall a couple of years ago met with my predecessor and they brought back the reciprocity, which means that we recognize USAC categories. USAC recognizes OBRA categories. So if an OBRA Category 3 racer goes to California race, they recognize that person as a cat- Category 3. Um, and so – what OBRA does is we, count, we, we also count points that are earned at USA Cycling events towards their OBRA upgrade. USA Cycling wants to work out a system where they, they do the same thing, where they count points earned at OBRA races towards um, USAC upgrades. So, you know, we've, we've opened the door um, to, to a really good dialogue they actually, this year they, we were allowed to, um, have Obra sanctioned four for the races at the cascade cycling classic again this year for the first time since I think 2011. Um, so that was, that's a big step. Um, and I, right. you know, I, I, I like some of the things that USA cycling is doing as far as trying to boost their membership and, and, and grow. And I think, I think they realize we're doing a lot right. And so, Rather than coming in with a heavy hand and wanting to, to 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 crush us, they're wondering how we can partner and make each other better.
0: I, this all sounds awesome, and I'm sitting here thinking about the original Norba and how Norba was its own independent uh, organization, and then eventually, right. USA, USAC or USAF, USCF at the time, br- brought them in under the umbrella is. Uh, it's, what is your relationship with usac like do you is, is do you see them maybe thinking okay they're doing some great things but eventually we got to shut this down or are they i mean is or is it just because Derek's in there now and it's a much more open
2: well you know Derek Derek resigned so the um oh, yeah, oh, yeah. the new ceo came from new balance um what's his name but I, my relationship is with their chief operating officer chuck hodge who's been around the sport forever and and uh what I'm what I'm getting from Chuck is is the opposite of that. Them wanting I I know I know they would love to have us become a local association of, of USA cycling, just like WSBA is in Washington and every other state has a local association, because why wouldn't they want the thirty five hundred members that we have yeah. as as USAC license holders and the revenue from the from the race head taxes and et cetera. But I I also know that they they don't hold any hold any, you know, ideas that that, that could happen. Um, wow. so rather than it feels, it feels to me, it feels like they, they want to work with us rather than against us.
0: Wow. You mentioned, uh, USAC primarily in the, when you said it, but, you, um, Building the sport and attracting new riders and new events. What what do you guys do, and how? What are there any tricks to help build the sport in any way, shape, or form? I mean, my God, because it's suffering everywhere, in my opinion.
2: You know, we 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 do a few things. We can do a lot better. Um, and, and Pat, you know, this the sport is growing. Cycling is growing. There's more people riding bikes, and and so how do we get those people that ride their bikes? interested in in competing you know every person that jogs probably enters a 5k from time to time right (laughs) um it, it it doesn't it doesn't happen in cycling um and uh so we need to do a better job of that we do we do offer free free one day uh single event licenses that we give to promoters to give out to new racers um we have a a women's committee that's dedicated to growing women's cycling and they put on events um to to bring new women in they do rides to teach women how to race Uh, they do a number of things to make make the women more comfortable and that's starting to have some success it's it's pretty neat to see our 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 uh, category four and five road race races have been really quite large this year comparatively and i officiated one of the road races this year and it was great bike racing It was, there was tactics and there was attacks and it was, and at the end of the race, talking with them, everybody was just jazzed and had a good time. So we're trying everything we can now to capitalize on that momentum that's being built there. Um.
1: Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week.
2: And that you know the junior side of it too is is I think promoters are realizing it's easy to sell a sponsorship that sponsors junior racing and and the ability to offer free entries to juniors that's what I did for the my little company putting on bike races here we had a couple of people that said yeah we'll we'll kick down the money for that and then yeah. then you say junior racing brought to you by whomever
0: Yeah I mean, we've got some of that here, fortunately, too, but it's primarily in our off road scenes uh, mountain biking, uh, yeah. cyclocross, things yeah. like that. And I'm sure you guys are seeing that in terms of your growth. The growth is probably, I'm going to guess, cyclocross, maybe your mountain biking, and uh, of course, gravel, which is the new flavor of the month.
2: Right, gravel and grand fondos, yeah. and I, I brought up some st- statistics if you want to hear them, just on yeah. kind of where we are between 2017 and 18. We actually showed growth on the road in road cycling. We grew 27 percent. Wow. Um, in in road race numbers, so like individual race entries, um, which was it. It kind of blew me away, and I, I I think a lot of it is due to a couple of very good promoters in the state um, that do a really good job, um, and then. You know, we count the local series in Portland into those numbers, so the, the Mount Tabor circuit race and the, the races that happen weekly at at uh, Portland International Raceway, those are counted in there. But those numbers grew. Cyclocross was kind of on a decline for a number of years, uh, but it finally the, – the, the needle went blue this year or black. It's not in the red, so we grew there. We grew in track. Um, but the, the the biggest growth is in, in that um, kind of Grand Fondo road, yeah. Kind of gravel type events. Um, we, we saw a large increase there.
0: Are you, And so you guys are overseeing those types of events. It in terms of yeah,
2: we we're, I guess we sanction them. They yeah. They, they permit that event through us and buy their insurance through us and and uh, we help promote them to our calendar and our marketing channels.
0: Do you you mention other promoters doing some things that worked? Um, Are there any things that you that are specific that those guys are doing that are like, oh my god, this race is growing like crazy because they're doing blank and blank and blank?
2: Well, I think for one thing, they're they're really professionally run, Um, right? There's no, you know, one that comes to mind is Zone Five Promotions. Um, They're out of Portland, Vancouver. And they're they're responsible for quite a few road races, and it's just you know when you go to one of those races, it's going to be it's going to be safe, everything's that you know the eyes are dotted and the t's crossed, the results are going to be up fast and and correct, and um, so they're they're really good at that, and they pick they pick interesting courses, um, you know, and they and then also uh, Brian Vector who promotes the Baker City Cycling Classic out in eastern Oregon, it's a stage race that's been going on for quite a few years. He does, for one thing, he does a really good job with promotion, um, promotion of the town, promotion of the event, and uh, also promotion of the, of the women's um, fields there too. So he usually has very strong women's fields. Um, so I really like what Brian's doing on the roadside. Oh. And, and having Cascade come back, um, I, I know, I'll bet you Bart's numbers next year are going to double from what he had this year. It's, 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 it's looking really good that way.
0: So he's not burned out, Bart's Bart's willing to continue doing this.
2: <laughs> you know, he's that guy. That guy has so many, so many uh, different things that he does oh, yeah. with his performance center and his coaching, and and uh, he's yeah, he's he's great. The the best thing about Bart is he's a visionary. He's uh, he he had a vision of this race that I kind of scr- scratched my head a little bit about, but everything that he visioned and saw, I think. Came true. And so that just, I think that just means great things for the future for that event.
0: And on top of it, he's still got legs that look like veined marble.
2: <laughs> so. yeah. You know, that guy went to Cyclocross Nationals and he didn't have any call up points. We started in the back row of a hundred person field and I think he finished seventh or something like that. <laughs>
0: yeah. I really, I really want to hate him, but I can't because he's a nice guy. So it's just making him too worse. nice a guy. It is.
2: Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah.
0: One of the big things that I notice around my region, and I'm wondering how you guys tackle it, and you said you started it off yourself in terms of um, officiating and getting people to officiate. And one of the things I'm noticing is predominantly when I go to a bike race, first of all, it's the same people who are racing, and nobody's willing to get off their bike and help. Make a race happen. They all still want to race. They, no matter how old they're getting into the sport, they want to keep doing it. Um, how do you guys attract people to be officials? And and is is there a magic wand that works?
2: Well, you know, I don't know if it's working yet. I I raised our team team membership team dues this year, and with the with the whole intention of the the additional revenue from that is going to go right back to the officials. It's going to be to give give all the over officials a bonus at the end of the year. Wow. But but if they can they can get a, a, a pretty large discount on their team dues if they either a put on a race as a team or two provide two officials that actually go out there and officiate races. And so we had teams jump on that. We've got more officials trained um, this year. It's uh, I created a new position, a director of officials training, and uh, um, she's doing a great job of, of going to races and helping new officials feel more comfortable doing what they're doing and, and doing a better job. And, but it's, you know, we, we struggled. USA cycling has this huge attrition of, of officials too, right now. They, they did something really cool at cascade is they said, all the OBRA officials, you can come to cascade. We're going to give you a, I think it was like a level C officiating. You know, you're going to become a USAC official because you're already trained. You already know how to officiate. Yeah. We're going to pay your first year's dues yeah. um, because you know, they, they're having a, a difficult time because they're also losing losing officials, um, so that's it's a constant struggle. It's not at a crisis point for Obrá yet, but you know, it, it could be if we lose if we lose you know more. So we're really trying to encourage teams to provide those officials.
0: Well, and that's something. I mean, I might not I might not be completely up to speed on some of that stuff, but from what I understand and correct me if I'm wrong, with USAC, you a, a club is not required to do this type of stuff and put on an event or provide officials. And that's, I remember back, you know, you started, you started off by saying you were dating yourself, talking about the Red Zinger. And I remember all those races, but so that's how old I am too. But I remember if you rode unattached, you had to pay a huge amount of extra fees because you weren't a part of a club who was helping grow the sport by promoting races and putting these things on. In my local community, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, in my local community alone, I can count probably at least ten to fifteen specific cycling clubs, and I can probably guess that maybe two to three percent of those clubs are putting on races. Right. And what does that do? Yeah. It just kills us. I
2: don't know why how we got it. Does you're right. How we got away from that because that's a you know it's a big risk for an individual to put on a bike race.
0: Right
2: it's, it's, there's, there's, I mean, risks from financial risks to exposure risks to, you know, every, everything else and a, a, a team or a club, it's much easier to absorb that risk, especially the financial risk of doing it. And, and you're also providing manpower if you're, if your team does that. So, you know, we're, 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 we're going to keep going down that path to encourage those and try to try to offer carrots to, to the clubs to to put on races. and, you know, actually, there are quite a few teams um, over teams that do put on events, and yeah. and uh, um, so that's good. It's just, you know, again, the, the individual promoters are waiting to the last minute to see if they're going to have to write a check out of their own pocket to cover the race expenses. And and
0: that's a killer. And that's almost where some things have become, it seems like some things have become, and I hate to use the term, privatized, where you've got one or two people who are putting on these events expecting to make an income, a living off of this, if you will. Right. And when the clubs used to put on races, you were just hoping you'd break even, and if you didn't, you dipped into the club treasury fees and you just paid everything back. Right. And so the shape shape, uh, of... Racing as a whole has shifted because if somebody wants to put on a time trial series, the time trial series doesn't make them any money. They're not going to put it on anymore. Right,
2: right. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, we've exactly. lost two,
0: we've lost two thirds of our racing calendar.
2: Yeah, yeah. So so, you know, I mean, I, again, like I say, I think because because in Oregon, um, the costs are lower. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's easier to do that that we still have a number of people that, that want to do that and uh, um, find ways to, I don't, I, you know, there's, there's only a couple of like full-time promoters that are making their living off it. I think the rest of them are like, they just want maybe throw a few bucks in their pocket Yeah. Um, to supplement their day job. Um, but, you know, that's, that's the majority of the, of the kind of the individual promoters, but you know, the teams that do it, they act, they do great. They, you know, it's, it's, it's usually good for their team. Their team throws a few more dollars in their, in their coffers for whatever they're going to use it for. And, um, but you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I think that's, that's, if if it keeps going that way and, and teams stop offering officials or putting on races, um, there'll be a lot less races. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I, I just, I, I see the general population of this sport growing Older, yes, we do have new people coming in, but the the experience. And I am I usually tend to lean towards road cyclists because that's the demographic I see the most of. But um, a lot uh-huh. of these older guys are, are still racing, and none of them are giving a whole lot back. And there, it's so few and far between. You know, you're seeing the same clubs, the same individuals putting on the same races year after year, and, and it's killing us. But I don't I want to don't yeah. want to be all negative. So <laughs> so tell let's say in a perfect world I'm sitting here a member of the WSBA and I think to myself and I'm not planning a revolution or anything like that but I want to say guys let's create something similar to what you guys are doing let's do something independently how does something like that start is it is it possible or do you have to ba- basically build a gigantic population of people who are tired of the game
2: yeah I mean I think you'd have you know you'd go to you'd go to the 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 biggest, the busiest, um, the most successful race promoters and say, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, get them on board. And if you get them on board, um, you know, hopefully the rest would follow. Um, you know, the, 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 the the most popular, the biggest races, the ones that people like to do. Um, like I mentioned at the beginning of the the show here at Obra, every promoter jumped on board right away. Yeah. And maybe the time was different then. Um, you know, I, the other thing I failed to mention too is that we have a we have a DBA called NABRA, the North American Bike Bicycle Racing Association. Okay. And I I permit events all over the country through that DBA. So wow. uh, We do, you know, we just got done with a, a large mountain bike series in in California. Um, uh, we do a large cyclocross series down there. We do a lot of gravel events around mountain bike races, um, a few, a few criteriums and road events. That's, that's kind of, I think that provides too much exposure for us by not having officials there on the ground. Um, it's just way more dangerous. Um, so I watch those, um, you know, but, but for, for events such as gravel and for cyclocross and mountain bike, it's a, it's a, it's a perfect platform for a promoter in Oklahoma to save a bunch of money and have their event insured, yeah. um, where their racers aren't concerned about upgrades and categories. Um, they just so it's, race their bikes.
0: Okay, that, yeah. that is huge, to know something like that exists. I'm sitting here in Spokane, Washington, and I'm thinking to myself, I'd love to be able to put on a, a, a kind of a gravel circuit race, kind of a summertime cyclocross, if you will. And I've been thinking about this for years, and every time I go to look into permits and liability insurance, I go, oh, God, that's never going to happen. But you're, say, you're saying in something like this, you guys have this opportunity, this window, even though I'm not an Oregon resident, I could, perchance, maybe get right. my event permitted through you guys.
2: You, you could. And wow. your total head tax total is $2 per racer.
0: Oh, my God.
2: Plus just a, a, a small upfront perm, permit fee.
0: Really, okay. I yeah. I just I want listeners to hear something like that. You know, I, there's probably a, a black helicopter flying outside my window right now because you know, and it says well, USAC probably on in the outside mine too. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> but but to know that these options are available, and you know, I'm not anti-USAC at all because I want to see bike racing thrive in this country but i also want to be able to put on some races and get some people i've i've always been a bit advocate for junior racing and i want to get kids out there racing their bikes um and not worried about all this kind of stuff and i also want to come home at the end of the day and know i didn't just blow my entire salary so that that's a huge right. thing and then right. and if right. s- somebody's listening to this podcast they can think to themselves wow that goofy little time trial series i thought might be able to work through something like this
2: it definitely could i mean in fact i was went down the road with a promoter large road race promoter in in northern california who was ready to just completely jump ship from the local association yeah usa cycling and run all his races through through nabra and i i decided not to do that with him but his head tax is 5 dollars a racer he pays a 4 dollar usac head head tax and a dollar local association head tax wow
0: Wow, and, so so, how do these people who are sitting there thinking this is a cool idea? How do, how are they going to find it?
2: Well, they, I, I'll give you my email address. It's ckenlan at obra org. That's k e n l a n. They can always email me, or they can go to uh, nabra or obra org and find me. Okay, and uh, yeah, it's I get. I get calls quite a bit, um, email inquiries quite a bit. Um, I, in fact, I just got insurance certificates for a mountain bike race in Indiana today. Wow. Um, so, um, uh, people hear about it. We don't, we don't super actively promote it that, that we're there. Yeah. Um, kind of happens through word of mouth. Okay. The, the really Oops. cool thing, when I mentioned we have two, two insurance policies, I have a, I have a NABRA liability policy and an over liability policy and both, both have, uh, Two million per occurrence, four million aggregate um, uh, coverage. Wow! If if there's an agency that needs more, I can piggyback the two policies um, for them.
1: Okay. That's rare.
2: Almost most most agencies are one and three. A lot are going to two and four now, and so we have adequate insurance for almost all agencies that need two million and four million. But if we need if we need more, if they require more. We can piggyback the NABRA policy on top of it.
0: Okay. In my research, when I was kind of looking up what you guys are doing and how you got involved with things like that, uh, you mentioned growth. And how does how do you want Ober to grow, if and if at all, and if so, in what directions?
2: Oh gosh, of course we want to grow. It's yeah, it's. it's, it's I mean, for one thing, I love it. And I think other people that got involved and and decided to try racing would love it too. Um, the the one thing I, I'm really I'm really excited about is our growth in junior numbers. Um, our junior race days went up 33 percent from 17 to 18. Um, and that you know I think there's a couple of reasons, but a couple of the big ones are is that there's there's junior clubs or junior programs now that are taking kids and coaching them in cycling, um, introducing them to the sport and taking them out. Um, one here in Bend, it's called the Bend Endurance Academy. I think they get about 300 kids on bikes every year. Wow. And, um, so a bunch of those kind of gravitate towards racing. Some just like going to the the terrain park out at Bill's trail and hucking, you know, big air, but some, some find, find, you know, the, the, the individuals that like that, the competition and like the pain of training and <laughs> and are coming that way so it's uh it's really you see and another one up in portland called pdx devo and i think another i don't you might be seeing this in, in washington too but one of the reasons i think our juniors your fields are growing is the masters races now have kids that are old enough to race and they want to go they still want to race yeah. so they're taking their kids to race
0: yeah oh no yeah, yeah exactly and, and <laughs> hopefully they're not stuck like I was for multiple years standing on the side of a soccer field watching a kid for, you know, for 10 years. But, you know, I don't want I mean, to bash I mean, what a that, cool
2: but, family sport. Yeah. You know, you go to a cyclocross race, and everyone in the family has a start time and, and does a race. Yeah. It's, it's it's pretty cool. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think, you know, our, our overall race numbers grew 3.5% from 17 to 18. So that's positive. Our membership numbers themselves are, are still kind of a, a really slight decline um so total licenses i think went down about one and a half percent um which is which is much less than the decline the year before and the year before that so i think yeah. it's going the right direction at least
0: wow well it's a cool model uh let me let me tell you that from somebody you know i've been, I've been actively bike racing since the 80s and to see uh, you know i i, I I love seeing the, the whole country all together as one unit, but it's also nice to see some people coming up with really good ideas and making it more affordable for the sport to happen. God knows it's expensive as it is.
2: Hey, look, Ian Boswell's Racing Pro Tour, he came up through Obra. I yeah. remember when Ian, as a 14-year-old, won the Cat 3 race at Cascade, and and Lance Dad is on Evola Cycling, came up through Obra. All these kids, um, uh, uh, Jacob Raffey, There's there's a number of Obra athletes that started in Obra because it was easy and it was cheap. And there was, there was a lot of racing available, um, for them, um, that have risen to the top. The, the other cool thing that's, that's happening too, is especially now with the reciprocity is we're going to be doing some, um, some more dual sanctioning at cross races. So, so, especially juniors and the elites can earn call up points at races in Oregon which they can't if it's just an OBRA sanctioned event. Oh wow, okay.
0: Well, uh, actually my last question. I got to ask you because you know, like I said I did the, I did the last video screening and and sh- I shot some stuff at in Bend and I, ha- I hadn't been to Bend in probably my, since my ski racing days when I was a high schooler. What is it uh-huh. with what is it with you people and what are you guys drinking that makes everybody so excited to uh to be active and make the city so successful in these types of venues? what is it so special oh about g- that town
2: oh my oh my God it's where we live holy cow So <laughs> you know, it's it's like I think people move here just for that and uh you know you're you're starting to see that a lot of a lot of people with disposable income moving here and and you know, the first thing they do is buy a Sprinter van and a and a handful of mountain bikes, and and off they go. It's, uh, and an entire yeah.
0: specific outdoor company uh, wardrobe and
2: uh, that's right. Yeah, they don't yeah. own labs that's anymore.
0: Right. What are the dogs? What what is what's the popular dog now? Probably a Labrador I, I or think, something like that.
2: I think it's still. I think it's still a lab. It is still sure. a lab. Yeah, okay. and it used, we used to be a Subaru town. It yeah. seems like we're a Sprinter van oh, town now. Oh God.
0: Yeah, good luck getting those things in a parking garage, right? <laughs> <laughs>
2: right. Well, right. Uh, no, it's still. I moved here in 1988, and uh, you know, I, I, I Phil's trail was that. That was it. There was Phil's trail, and you know, thank thank goodness for Phil McGlasson and then the people that followed him and started building trails so much illegally out in the forest, and <laughs> and now they they have a great working relationship with the Forest Service and they're building new trails all the time and and uh yeah it's it's really uh you know it's it's a, it, it works here
0: yeah i well, guess well yeah. chuck i gotta i gotta thank you for your time man um put, making bike racing happening happen is not an easy task and it's not a glorified task it's not something where you get all the limelight and the attention and and it, what you guys are doing is is pretty impressive and i hope you know, I, again, I don't want to start a revolution, but I, I love hearing that there's opportunities for people to create that model and, and, and build races and not break the bank doing so. So man, that's what a great model well, you guys are putting together.
2: Well, thank you, Patrick. like I say, it kind of there's just a great staff, a great support network here, and you say it's thankless, but I think it's, it's, it's just uh, it's, it's got a lot of rewards, so I'm, I'm, I'm really fortunate. right on. thanks, man. Thank you.
0: Now, I know I talk about Bend a lot recently because producer Karsten lives there, and we did the Bike Town episode there, and some guests tend to be on the show from there. And um, I promise I'm not trying to sell Bend for all of you to go live there. But after talking with some of these people who are very progressive and open about the sport and growing the sport, it sure is hard to beat. It's kind of depressing for those of us who live elsewhere. So if you like what you hear, go check out bike towns. It's on our YouTube channel or it is on packfiller.com and you can see the community that Chuck is talking about in this and congratulations to the people of Bend and to Bart Bowen especially, the most recent Cascade Cycling Classic was brought back after a year hiatus, and it appears to have gone off incredibly well. I wish I could have been there, Um, but congratulations to the city of Bend and all the people who've been pushing to keep everything going so well. It's a really bike-friendly town. It's one one of the best I've seen yet. So speaking of bike towns, if you think you live in a city that can rival or at least barely compete with Bend, drop me a note. Let me know. You never know we might be there with cameras in hand and shoot our next episode of bike towns in your community like the podcast subscribe to the podcast drop me an email anytime patrick at packfiller.com and now that if you're living in the states and the weather's getting great get out there and enjoy the roads and the and the trails and the gravel and all that wonderful stuff we will talk to you next week
1: bye